Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great uh, to be with you again um, today and to have the opportunity to share from God's Word with you. Um, Please keep your Bibles open there to John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at that together this morning. Uh, But let's pray and ask for God's help. Father God, we pray, uh, please, uh, to you, our great shepherd, that uh, today you would seek the lost, you would bring back the stray, that you would bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. We pray, please, Lord, that we would hear your voice and that we would follow you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but one of my uh, fears is, one of the things I'm afraid of, uh, is that I'd be taken for a ride, that uh, I might be duped or tricked or deceived, that someone might pull the wool over my eyes. Uh, Do you share that same feeling? A few years ago, we had our credit card hacked. It was interesting that, fortunately, the bank uh, realised that it was happening, and they watched, and we watched, as the money went out, and then they, you know, finally stopped it and reimbursed it and all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, I don't know if you share that same fear, because we're constantly being bombarded, aren't we, by emails and text messages and phone calls uh, from people who presume, are sort of pretending to be your bank, um, or perhaps even your mother-in-law, desperate at the shops. Did you get that one? Yeah. I, I have fallen for some of these things, and I'm afraid... Um, that I might get done. It's a scary world that we live in, and these people often prey on the vulnerable, um, on the weak, on those um, who are liable to fall for their deception and their tricks, people just like me. And I think that it's even more so the case, isn't it, when it comes to religion. Aren't you too rightly wary of being fooled, of having the wool pulled over your eyes and of being tricked. And I think the world today, our culture in which we live in, is very wary of religion, of religion being something that um, is a fake, it's phony, it's made up uh, and is is used to exploit people. And um, so we need help, don't we? How do we avoid the charlatan? How do we know when someone who is very serious is actually seriously wrong? How do we discern that? How do we know that moment? How do we know the fake from the true? How do we navigate the Christian bookstore, which is so wrong because there's one really good book next to one quite dodgy book? How do we navigate that one? How do we navigate the internet where there's so many preachers, Christian preachers, and not all of them are Christian. How do we navigate church life and know when we're really hearing the truth, when these really are God's people? Do you need help with that? Because I need help with that. Because all of us are like sheep and we're likely to wander, aren't we? We're likely to get trapped and get caught up and we need help. And so I think that's why John chapter 10, we're in John chapter 10, we're halfway through the gospel, 
um, this morning. That's why I think this chapter is so, so helpful, because in this chapter, um, Jesus gives us uh, the marks of the thief and the robber, the stranger, the the non-shepherd, the false teacher, if you like. He gives us the marks of the true sheep, the real sheep, and he gives us the marks of, we'll get it here, the true sheep, the true shepherd, the good shepherd, doesn't he? So here we go, the false shepherd, the true shepherd, and the true sheep. Marks of all those things. And so that's what we're going to look, look at this morning um, here in chapter 10. Chapter 10, uh, it's an analogy, isn't it? It's a figure of speech. It's a, it's a parable, if you like, a, a word picture that Jesus draws on that he uh, creates. Well, doesn't he? he doesn't really create it. He picks it up, doesn't he, from all those Old Testament readings like we had in, um, in uh, Ezekiel, uh, like the most famous psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus draws on all that picture and he brings us here into John chapter 10 and uh, you can see the seriousness with which Jesus um, commences this section uh, saying, truly, truly, I say to you. And uh, whenever you see those words in John's gospel, they're literary markers, if you like, um, he's signalling something. That is that he's, he's summarising, he's bringing together what has gone before and he's about to say something that's really serious. He's trying to capture our attention and to underline what he's saying and to highlight the gravity of the words that he's about to say, uh, and you can see who they're directed to here in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you. Who is he speaking to? Well, John chapter 10, funnily enough, follows hot on the heels of John chapter 9. And uh, John chapter 9 is all about that man who was born blind. And, uh, And the Pharisees, well, they weren't really concerned about the man, were they? They didn't care about the man. They just cared that he'd broken the Sabbath. They'd broken a rule. And uh, so, um, Jesus is engaging with these Pharisees about this blind man, the blind man's engaging with them as well, and talking about Jesus and who he is and how he got healed, and uh, it's that really continuing here. Jesus is talking to those same Pharisees that he was talking to back in chapter 9, uh, verse 40, some of the Pharisees. And Jesus is engaging them, and he's speaking to them. He's bringing all of that context from John chapter 9. Truly, truly, I say now to you, and he gives us this picture. Firstly, the picture of the thief and the robber, the stranger, the non-shepherd. You see, the Pharisees were very good people. Very, very good people. Nice people. Religious people. Passionate people. Enthusiastic people about religion and about rules, about living the good way, God's way. But notice what Jesus says to them here in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying because all of a sudden he's broken out into this picture language, this parable language. They didn't understand, verse 6, this figure of speech that Jesus was using. So Jesus says to them again in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, still speaking to those Pharisees, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. 
But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Anyone, verse 9, who enters by me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But the thief and the robber, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. It's pretty harsh words, isn't it, that Jesus is using. He says, all who came before me. I don't think he's talking about all the prophets and all, all the people of God in the Old Testament. Because you know what he says? It says there, he says, all those who came before me are. He's talking in the present tense. They are. He's speaking to the Pharisees still. Those who have climbed in another way. Those who have come in, not by the door, but have climbed up another way. He's speaking to them, these Pharisees. Um, the sheepfold was a, a continuous wall that had an opening. And these people haven't come in through the opening, they haven't come through the door, they've climbed up some other way. And it seems, doesn't it, that Jesus doesn't have a very high view of Pharisaism. Although it seems very good and very religious... He doesn't speak very highly of it here, does he? He says they are thieves and robbers. They've come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Can you believe it? These sincere, enthusiastic, passionate people about the Bible. And Jesus calls them thieves and robbers. Jesus doesn't view wall-climbing religion very highly. He doesn't think it's just harmless. He thinks... It's destructive. It's deadly. It'll kill you. It'll exploit you. It'll rob you. It'll ruin your life. And so I want to ask the question uh, this morning, how can we tell if we're being taken for a ride, if we're being duped, if we're being tricked, if someone was pulling the wool over our eyes? How can we tell if we're engaging with a stranger, someone who, who, who is not the true shepherd, someone who is a thief and a robber? How can we tell? Well, Jesus says here, they climb in another way. Jesus says, I am the door. You've got to enter by me. But these people aren't in interested in Jesus, and so they're not emphasising Jesus. They might be emphasising the Bible, but they're not emphasising Jesus. They're not coming in through Jesus. In fact, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They didn't think very highly of Jesus at all, as we'll see later on in the, the passage. They're not coming in by the door. They're not coming in by Jesus. So that's a good test, isn't it? as you're listening to teaching, as you're engaging with something, what is it? What, what, what's the nature of this? Is this a shepherd who's going to love and care and protect me? Or is this a thief and a robber that's going to come to steal and to destroy? Are they climbing up? Are they saying you've got to climb up another way? Because that's what all religions do, isn't it? It's about climbing up. It's about ticking the boxes. It's about going through the ceremonies and the, the, the religious doing all the things that you need to do. But Jesus says, no, I'm in, on the door, you've just got to come in through me. And, you'll notice here, uh, the true shepherd leads by example, doesn't he? he goes before them in verse 4. He leads by example. But no, no, not the, um, not the stranger, no, not the, um, the false shepherd, He doesn't have a servant characteristic about his life who's laying down his life for the sheep. He doesn't, have a the he doesn't actually have a theology of suffering. 
But Jesus is all about that, isn't he? He'll go on to say, the true shepherd, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. So as you're engaging, as you're listening to other teachers, think, are they, are they entering in by Jesus? Are they leading by example, laying down their lives uh, for the sheep? Do they have a theology of suffering in this world? And are they fighting off wolves? Because you see there in verse 9, I am the door, if anyone enters uh, by me, he'll be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that you have life. The hired hand, verse 10, is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep, sees the wolf and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. What sort of shepherd, what sort of leader are you looking for? Is it one who enters by Jesus? Is it one who lays down their life for the sake of the sheep? Is it somebody who has that kind of fighting off the wolves, who spells out the dangers and is protecting the sheep? It's one of the, the characteristics in Titus, Titus uh, a book that was written uh, about the church, about leadership in the church. And it says that a good leader in the church has to be not just able to teach sound doctrine, but has to be able to correct and reprove and expose the false and fight off the wolves. And do they care for the sheep? That's a good test, isn't it? What's the focus of the ministry? Is it all about the leader of the ministry? Are they the one who's in the spotlight? Is all the focus on them? Are they like the hired hand who's just there for the wages? Doesn't actually care about the sheep. No, we're exploiting the sheep. But, boy, you can tell by the character of their lifestyle that it's a bit exorbitant. What type of shepherd leader are you looking for? Because it can be attractive, can't it? To hear the person who's not talking about suffering and laying down your life and a theology of suffering can be attractive to see the leader who's, who's quite shiny on the outside, but actually they've climbed in another way, not the true shepherd, not emphasising Jesus, not denying Jesus, but they're not emphasising Jesus either, are they? Not giving the glory to Him, not coming in through Him. So there we are, there's the, the first thing, the false Well, Jesus doesn't even call them false shepherds. He just calls them their non-shepherds. They're not shepherds at all. They're thieves and they're robbers. They've come to steal and to to kill and to destroy. So that's the first picture. And then he gives us the picture of the good shepherd, the true shepherd as well, doesn't he? Um, It's quite a bold claim that Jesus makes twice here in this passage. I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the door. And now he says, I am the good shepherd. How can Jesus say that in the Gospel of John? Do you remember who we've met so far? Well, we just met a man born blind. Uh, We've heard about the hungry mouths, thousands of them, (laughs) that needed food and no one to feed them. We met an invalid who had been that way for 38 years. We met a son who was at the point of death. We met a woman who's had five husbands, and the one she's with now is not actually her husband. And we've met, well, we were were at a wedding, weren't we? Chapter 2, where the wine ran out. 
how can Jesus say, in a world like ours, I am the good shepherd? Think about the life of Jesus. Think about the life of the Apostle Paul, or Peter, or James, or any of the other apostles, or the blood-stained pages of church history. Paul says we are the scum of the earth. That's more realistic, isn't it? Than someone who walks in and says, I am the good shepherd. How can Jesus say, in a world like ours, I am the good shepherd? Well, he emphasises the contrast here between he and the non-shepherds, because, verse 12, he is here to protect, isn't he? He's not running away like these false shepherds. He doesn't flee like the hired hands. No, he cares for the sheep. He knows his sheep intimately. He knows their names. He loves the sheep. He makes provision for the sheep. He brings them in and out. It's a beautiful picture here, isn't it? He cares for his sheep. He knows his sheep. Even, uh, interestingly, in verse 15, even like the relationship between the Father and the Son. Have a look at verse 15. Or verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's incredible, isn't it? He's saying there's an intimacy between me and my sheep that is actually corresponding to the intimacy within the Trinity. <laughs> between God and the Son. Incredible. He goes before them. He leads them. He's the good shepherd. But I want to... I think there's something else here. Because all those things are very nice, aren't they? Being led, being fed, being shepherded, protected, provided for, knowing your shepherd, having that intimate relationship. That's all very nice, isn't it? But what about all those things I've just mentioned? What about the evil and the suffering and the death that still plagues the sheep of Jesus? How can Jesus say, I am the good shepherd? And I think the key is mentioned five times in this passage. Let's just uh, note them here. Um, verse 11. I am the good shepherd... Here's the defining mark of the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen, they will listen to my voice, so there'll be one uh, flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down for, uh, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge, what charge? The charge to lay his life down and take it up again He's received from his Father. This is the distinguishing mark of Jesus as our Good Shepherd, in contrast to the hired hand. 
It might be normal. You think of David fighting off the bear and the lion. It might be normal for a shepherd to endanger his life. And it may just happen that he might lose his life by accident without intention, unfortunately. That might be rare. But Jesus intentionally, with his own authority, lays down his life for the sheep. This is the distinguishing mark of Jesus as our Good Shepherd, because it shows us that what others have intended for evil, even human pain and cosmic injustice, as it was on the cross, God is able to use and to turn into something good. That is why Jesus is our good shepherd. Because he has authority to lay it down and to take it up again. It shows us that Jesus is not defeated by death or pain or suffering or opposition or hate or scorn, or ridicule, or any other thing that could come against us in this world. It shows us that Jesus is the Good Shepherd, the only one, because he lays down his life for the sheep in order that he may take it up again. Why is it, you see, that God's suffering church all throughout the ages has hung on to the cross? and has celebrated triumphantly and preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it is our only hope in a broken and a fallen world, isn't it? God is not good just because Jesus dies on a cross in our place for his sheep. God is only good when that is corresponded with the resurrection of Jesus out of the grave, his triumph over death. Because it shows us that his righteous life really was righteous, that death could not hold him, because death is a consequence of sin, but Jesus never sinned. He couldn't hold him in the grave. It shows us that he really did live a righteous life. It shows us that he really did die a death not his own, He should never have died. He lived a righteous life. Death belongs to sinners. Jesus never sinned. It showed us that his death was not his death. It was for us. He walked into death. Death belongs to us. It clings to us. We can't help but die because we sin in this world. But Jesus never sinned. He had to rise from the grave in vindication of his righteous life. It shows us, doesn't it, that Jesus really is the good shepherd, that his death really was a substitutionary atonement. It made us one with God because he stood in our place. All the sin that belonged and clung to me that rightly I should be judged for goes on Jesus. His righteous life that doesn't, I don't deserve, I could never live a life like that. All of that goodness is credited to me and now I can be at right with God the Father because Jesus has stood in my place. He is the good shepherd, because he lays down his life for the sheep and takes it up again. And he is the good shepherd, because he will keep his sheep eternally secure. Don't you love these verses?
you see what he says here? Verse 27, we didn't read it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Double security. The hand of Jesus and the hand of God the Father, who is above all, will keep and guard and protect his sheep forever. wonderful, isn't it? Jesus is the only one who can say, in a fallen, broken world like ours, I am the good shepherd. So there we go, the false shepherd, the good shepherd, and finally, uh, a portrait of the sheep. Now, I don't know if you like David Attenborough and uh, his nature documentaries, no doubt you've seen a few of them over the years. Uh, I always feel like his camera crew should get more credit um, they're certainly in the background, aren't they? But I, I remember one uh, particular um, episode, I don't know what you call it, an, an, uh, um, one particular documentary that I was watching of some penguins. And there were thousands of them that covered the, you know, the shore of this, um, I don't know, it was Antarctica, some sort of iceberg, um, half land, half iceberg. You know, there, there's thousands of, of penguins just covering this landmass on the shore. And uh, what amazed me was that the mother penguin uh, could find her own chicks after going fishing. So, um, yeah, I think it's different with different penguins, whether it's the mum or the dad, but one of them goes fishing, uh, comes back with the food, and then regurgitates it into the mouth of the young. You know how it happens to the, the chicks. And so there you are, you've got this thousands and thousands of penguins uh, and, their, and their fluffy baby chicks squawking you know, their heads off uh, and waiting for their mother to feed them or their dad, whoever it is. Uh, and, and there's the dad, you know, who comes up from the fishing or the mum and um, they've got to somehow find their own young amidst thousands and thousands of squawking chicks. It's incredible, isn't it? And yet somehow all of those chicks get fed and, you know, the population goes on. It's incredible. Well, Jesus doesn't use um, the image of penguins here, but it's the same thing, isn't it? It's, it's an image that would have been familiar to those people he was speaking to, certainly. It's the image of a sheep and the shepherd. And sheep, I mean, here in, here in, um, in Australia, we, we don't, this is a foreign picture to us, isn't it? It's, it's, it's weird. Because we drive sheep, we herd sheep, we use motorbikes and dogs to round them up. But the picture here is, is beautiful. A shepherd who knows his sheep, who leads them, who calls them and they follow. It's very different. The picture here of a sheepfold, an enclosure, a walled enclosure... And the various shepherds would bring their flocks at night into this enclosure for keeping, for safekeeping. And of course, there they would be all, all of them mixed up together, a mass of, of, of white. Various flocks all together. And then the shepherd, and uh, in my reading, it seems like 
um, there is some, uh, something uh, of evidence to suggest that, that this walled enclosure had an opening and the shepherd himself was the gate, was the door. He would be in the way. He would, he would keep the sheep in. It's hard to know because I think, um, you know, the picture earlier on says that uh, the gatekeeper opens. So there does seem to be some opening there. I don't know. But whatever it is, whether it's a door or the shepherd, uh, you know, opens the door, whatever it is, they've got this enclosure. But there, there they all are, thousands of sheep perhaps, all in the one space. They all look the same. They all smell the same. They all sound the same. And in the morning, the various shepherds uh, wake up and now it's time to go and feed the sheep. They've got to take the sheep out of the, the sheep fold and into the pasture lands, into, into you know, perhaps up a mountain and find some, some feed, some green areas. And what would happen is that the shepherds would move away from the sheep and would call the sheep. And all of a sudden, one head would pop up and then another and then there'd be movement within the sheep. And certain sheep would come and follow certain shepherds. And it's, it's an instinctive thing. I mean, sheep, for all their dumbness, for all their fluffiness, for all their, their wanderingness about sheep. I mean, sheep are crazy kind of animals, aren't they? But for all their stupidity, there's one redeeming feature, it seems. They know the voice of their bleating mother, and they know the voice of their shepherd. And they will follow their shepherd, into green pastures. And that's what's happening here, isn't it? Even as Jesus is speaking, the blind man pops up his head and moves out from the masses and begins to follow Jesus. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they're repelled, aren't they? They're repulsed by Jesus. They don't want to follow Jesus. Why? Jesus says in this passage, it's because they're not my sheep. And God has given his sheep an instinct, a reflex, to discern the voice of Jesus. It's incredible. It's not based on intelligence. It's not based on your literary knowledge of the Scriptures. It's not based on your years of experience. It's an instinct that God plants by His Holy Spirit into the heart and life of a believer, and so that as they listen, as they're hearing something, they say, you know what? That doesn't sound right. There's something wrong here. There's a sense about it. It's not the voice that I'm going to follow. But isn't it true that you're there and you're listening and you're thinking, yes, this is the voice I'm meant to follow. This is the voice of Jesus. I can hear in this teaching, he's not climbing in. He's not a wall climber. He's not, he, he's, he's not trying to get in some other way. He's not trying to exploit me or deceive me or, or destroy me or take my life. He cares about me. He loves me. He's trying to lead me into good pastures. He's got a theology of suffering. He's, telling, he's laying his life down for me. He's guarding me against wolves. He's teaching me. He's feeding me. I'm growing up in him. And I say, yes, this is the voice of the true shepherd coming through. The instinct of the sheep. 
And it's because of this distinguishing feature, this natural instinct, this great defining mark of the true Christian. What is it? It's love for the voice of Jesus. Isn't that why Christians sometimes go from one church to another? While sometimes one denomination will flourish and for a while and then it will fade? Isn't this why Muslims, you know, Ramadan's coming up, and sometimes God gives them visions and dreams, calls them to Himself. But you know what? We long for visions and dreams, don't we? I wish God would be more tangible and show me what I should do in this situation. They don't really care about the visions and dreams. All they want to do is get their hands on a Bible. It's funny, isn't it? They long. Why is it? They've got this instinct within them. God's birthed them again, and now they're a new creation, and now they've got this new hunger, and they've got new ears, and they're marked for the voice of Jesus. And they've got new feet because they want to follow in His ways. And they love the Word of God. But they want not just, not just the Old Testament, they want Jesus. They want it to be all seen, that it all fulfills, it all points to Him, and they want all the glory to go to Jesus. They love it. They can't get enough of it. Why is it, you think, we devote so much of our service to the preaching of God's Word? It's because we want to hear the voice of the great shepherd of the sheep. You know what? Jesus has got other sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Do you notice what he said there? I have. They already belong to Jesus. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must. It's a divine necessity. It will happen. I must bring them also, and they'll listen to my voice. They might listen to my voice. They will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. You see, one day God will come, Jesus will come back again, won't he? And even the dead will hear his voice and rise to be with him. The great shepherd of the sheep. One of my favourite missionary stories is that of John G. Patton. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. He was uh, one of the early missionaries, uh, not the first because the first were eaten, uh, one of the first missionaries to the islands of Vanuatu, then called the New Hebrides. And John G. Patton was a Scottish Presbyterian minister, and uh, he was quite successful in uh, youth programs and all sorts of stuff that he was leading there, and lots of people were becoming Christians, but he left that behind. He went to the New Hebrides, and of course they hated people because the white people, because the only uh, white people they engaged with were traders um, who would shoot them and also, you know, and treat them horribly, bring in diseases intentionally, all sorts of things. Uh, so they hated white people, uh, but he went there with his new wife, who was pregnant, and uh, she died very soon afterwards, and uh, so, did, so did the child. He buried his wife and his child, and he stayed four years among the cannibals, and uh, Incredible story, incredible danger that he was in. Sometimes he was doing his ministry and one of them would walk around with a loaded pistol. Uh, another time he was, he was held, you know, with a machete. Um, 
It's incredible, a great story to read to, to young boys because it's a real adventure story. But it's amazing. Uh, on this island of, of Tana, uh, he eventually left. He went back to England, and do you know what he did? He remarried and took his next wife. She lived. Uh, Mr. Dixon, before he went, um, said to him, he said, you're crazy. Uh, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. Uh, and uh, so he said, you know, don't, don't go. Well, th this, is, um, this is what John G. Patton said to him. He said, you are advanced in years now, Mr. Dixon, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, and there you will be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can have that if I can but live and die serving and honouring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of the risen Redeemer. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't really matter. You see, here's the thing. You don't go and do crazy things like that. In the end, the whole island, he went back to a sister island, and that whole island became Christians, and they went, became missionaries to that first island that he went to, and then they became Christians. Incredible story. But you see, you don't do that kind of stuff, do you? Unless you know that Jesus is the Good Shepherd, that your life is hidden with Him, that He holds you in His hand, the Father holds you in His hand, that He really is good. How... How could John G. Patton, burying his wife and his kid, believe in Jesus as the Good Shepherd? That's why, isn't it? Because even before he went, he knew that he'd be resurrected just like his Lord, and in the end it wouldn't matter. I am the Good Shepherd, Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for loving us and caring for us, for providing for us, for protecting us, for knowing us. And thank you so much, Lord God, that you sent the Lord Jesus to lay down his life for us and that you raised him again. He had authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. We thank you, Lord God, that now we can be hidden in your hand, held for eternity, secure and uh, that we can live for you. Please help us, Lord God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.